So who are you influenced by? You know, one of the things that's grown over the past few years is this idea of a social media influencer. And a social media influencer is a person with a large social media following on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, LinkedIn, whatever it is, who is then paid by a company to recommend their product. And you've probably been influenced by one, odds are. And you know what? It works. For every $1 that a company pays a social media influencer, they expect to get $18 in return. One for 18, that's a pretty good ratio of return. And the odds are that you're probably following one of these people uh, in your own life right now, even if you're not aware of it. They come in all different shapes and sizes. And if you think about it, you may have been influenced by somebody to buy a particular juicer because this person is somebody who you respect, who you like the other products that they talk about and the things that they use on their cooking show or just in their day-to-day life. You may have been influenced to, to sign up for a webinar because it's by your favorite podcaster who told you that if you sign up for this, you're going to learn some secret keys for how to be more productive in your everyday life. You know, we are all influenced by all kinds of people. But you know, not all of us want to be influencers, right? We don't all want somebody watching everything that we do and mimicking it. That's not for all of us. And you know, I came across a a guy online who had a big problem. He was talking in this online forum and listen to what he said his problem was. I possess all of the traits of someone truly intelligent such as great social skills, good emotional stability, etc. When I converse with people and start to understand who I am, I feel like people try to be like me. This is all a compliment, but it kind of annoys me as I want people to uniquely develop themselves rather than just attempting to conform to my ideals. (laughs) When I read this, I was laughing so hard. I just couldn't stop thinking of this guy typing all of this in to his computer and what he must have been thinking inside of his head. I was sitting at my desk trying not to look like the fool who was laughing at the screen when nobody else saw it. I mean, this guy though, he's so thoughtful, right? I mean, he's so thoughtful. He's practically a saint for wanting us all to develop on our own. But you know, not everybody thought that he was thoughtful. (laughs) The people in this forum did not take his advice, his comments uh, very well. The first person just flat out said, I don't want to be like you, period, move on. The next person said, you know, I like also to boast about myself, even though no one asked, but try to pass it off as helping other people. You know, seriously, friends, let me, let me just say this honestly to us all uh, as a public service announcement. What you put on the internet is read by other people. Don't be like this guy. <laughs> be aware of what you are writing. Uh, but you know what? Maybe this guy is influencing other people. I mean, who am I to judge that? You know, like Oscar Wilde said, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. We are all influenced by other people who are in our life. We're formed by who and what we allow to influence us. John Mark Comer wrote this, what you give your attention to is the person whom you will become. Curious what your life looks like? Who do you pay attention to? 
If you look at that, you'll probably see a reflection pretty quickly. You know, Dallas Willard was an author and a professor, and he wrote a lot about discipleship. And specifically, how do we live lives that look more like Jesus? And his books have been read by people all over the world, pastors, leaders, everyday people who want to learn on this. But real quick, what does discipleship mean? You know, the word disciple is used 269 times in the New Testament, one of the most often used words. And what it's talking about at the beginning is about the people who were following Jesus while he was alive. And then after his death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven, it's talking about the people who choose to follow him, to model their life after him. And being a disciple means that we are actively choosing to live your life like the person who is discipling you. In our case, hopefully, that's Jesus. And in his book, The Spirit of Disciplines, Dallas Willard talks about a choice that he says many churches and people in churches have been making over the past 30 years of non-discipleship. And non-discipleship is this idea that people can call themselves Christians without modeling their lives after Jesus. That means we go to church, but we choose to not live like Jesus for the rest of the week. But this is what Willard says. If we become like Christ, it will be obvious to every person around us as well as to ourselves. It will be made concrete by loving our enemies, blessing those who curse us, walking the second mile with the oppressor. In general, living out the gracious inward transformation of faith, hope, and love. But what if we just chose the path of non-discipleship? What does that mean? It means that we would miss out on a peace that's with us in all seasons, that we'd miss out on an ability to show love in all circumstances, to have faith in God's ability to work everything out for his good, on a power given to us from the Holy Spirit uh, to stand against evil, and an ability to discern between what is God and what is a liar temptation of the enemy, among so many other things. We want to live our lives well. I'm confident of that. I'm confident that you want to live your life well. That is a goal that we have. But if we're going to do that, we need to stop and check who is influencing us. This morning, we're continuing our series in Ezra and Nehemiah that we've called Renew, Building Places of His Presence. And as we talk about these leaders in the Old Testament who had books named after them, I think the example of Ezra gives us a really good spot to start at this morning. Ezra shows us how to be people who are influenced by the Word of God, by the presence of God. Friends, you are formed by influencers. So who are you allowing to influence you? Ezra paid attention to what God was saying, and it showed. It showed in how he lived his life and the choices that he made, and it showed in how he led other people. We all need to stop ourselves and say, does my life look like Jesus is influencing me? My name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to invite you to pray with us as we start this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, I just pray that you will come and fill our homes, fill our cars, fill our offices, fill wherever it is that that we are at this morning, this day, and speak to us. I pray that you'll show us 
how to live lives that, that are influenced, that are affected, that are modeled after you, Jesus. Teach us how to live our lives well, showing the world the goodness, the love, the peace that you came to bring and that you keep giving over and over and over to us, your followers. We ask for you to come to speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Ezra 7, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, uh, feel free to click on the Bible tab underneath the chat and to read along with me there. Uh, download you version on your phone uh, or find a Bible in some way, shape, or form. Shoot, we would love to give you a Bible if you don't have one, so reach out to us. We would love to do that. But let's read Ezra 7, verse 1 together. Many years later, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, there was a man named Ezra. And then verse 6. This Ezra was a scribe who was well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given the people of Israel. He came up to Jerusalem from Babylon, and the king gave him everything that he asked for because the gracious hand of God was on him. And some of the people of Israel, as well as priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and temple servants, traveled to Jerusalem with him in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes' reign. This was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. I ended in verse 10, if you didn't catch that. So 60 years have passed since the end of chapter 6. And the reason the story picks up here is because Ezra has entered the scene. Ezra's a scribe, we're told. A scribe is somebody who wrote down and rewrote down the laws, the words of God, the Bible, as we would call it. And a scribe was a priest. You know, we have pastors who write books. They have priests who wrote books. You know, and I skipped over the genealogy in some of those verses, but it's important to note that the reason that that's there is because it proves Ezra's lineage in as a priest. And that was very important to the Israelites. It proved that he was from the line of Aaron going all the way back to the time of Moses. Because you see, later on, Ezra was going to be viewed by the Israelites in Judaism as uh, a second Moses, uh, a second coming of Moses. He's highly revered because his actions put this stamp on the Israelites as a people of the word of God, of the written word of God, a people guided by the written word of God, a heritage which I think has been passed down to us as well, us Christians, followers of Jesus, who are also a people of the word. We are guided by the written word of God, by the Bible. When we pay attention to affects the people that we become. Ezra paid attention to the word of God and it affected the person that he became. It affected how he lived and how he led. Will we allow the word of God, the presence of Jesus to affect the people that we become? That's the question for us. Listen again to verse 10, though, what it says here. Ezra determined to study and obey the word, the law of the Lord, and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. You see, Ezra was determined to live his life according to the law of the Lord. 
Derek Kidner is an Old Testament theologian, and he, and he said that Ezra is a model and that he taught what he first lived. He lived what he first made sure of in the scriptures. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. This is a good thing to remember from today. Ezra's life, we see this pattern uh, emerge from it of how we should live. He shows us that we need to make sure that we put things in a certain order. And here is the order. Write this down. You learn and then you live and then you lead. You learn and then you live and then you lead. When we take things in this order, this is what happens. Our learning is saved from being based in idealism or hypotheticals. Our choices are saved from being based in guesswork. Our leadership is saved from being shallow, insincere, and uneducated. You learn, and then you live, and then you lead. You know, in religion, there's been this debate for the past, uh, for several hundred hundred years uh, of orthodoxy versus orthopraxy. And it's uh, also termed a a debate between correct belief versus correct practice. Which one's more important? You know, in Christianity, often we kind of lean towards belief. Because we make statements like this, like, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the word of God. What we believe in our hearts matters the most. We make value statements like that, and that's fine and good. Uh, but in Orthodox Judaism, while they value the belief as well, they lean more towards the practice side. And they say things like, are you living the right way? Are you eating the correct foods? Are you observing the Sabbath? And so on. And so the question before us is, which is correct, orthodoxy or orthopraxy, belief versus practice? And I would say that's a false dichotomy. It's not either or. I think Ezra shows us this. As we'll see later in the book, he shows us that we need to anchor our actions in truth, and we need to live our lives in a way that reflect what we believe. Both need to be balanced. If we lean too much one way, we become kind of bodiless idealists, and we if we lean too much the other way, we become brainless creatures of habit. Neither one is a good spot to be all the way in. We need to be centered in the middle. Be a person who is rooted both in correct belief and lives it out in correct habit, because I think both matter a lot to God. And honestly, this could this affects all areas of your life, right? It doesn't just affect uh, your faith, your spirituality, as if anything ever could just affect that area. You live, you, you learn, you live, and then you lead. It's a grid for business, for parenting, for your marriage. It's a grid to be able to look at your life through and see, are you keeping things in the correct perspective? If Jesus is one of your main influences, his fingerprints are going to touch every single area of your life. So live all your life looking through the same grid uh, that Jesus lays out for us. And I think that's really helpful. You know, Peter was one of the first disciples, one of the first followers of Jesus. And he was also one of the early church's main leaders. And he wrote a couple of letters that we find in the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, 2 Peter 1, he talks about what it looks like to live a life that is guided by the influence of of Jesus. And I want to read this. It's 2 Peter 1, 3 through 10. So again, if you have your Bible, open it up and read this with me. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. 
And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, moral excellence with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient endurance, patient endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fall, uh, fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they've been cleaned from their old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you're really among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Peter says that the point of being discipled by Jesus is so that you can be productive. Now, he's not talking about check marks on a 10-point list of things to get done. That's not what he's talking about. And he's not talking about uh, something that would infer that, that Jesus values us, that he, he makes us worthwhile if we do enough things for him. That's not what he's saying either. I'm talking about producing like an orchard or a garden. When you walk out into an orchard, you see trees filled with apples and oranges and lemons and and limes and grapefruits. When you walk out to a garden and you see carrots growing from the ground and potatoes and, and you see tomatoes on a vine, you see corn growing on the stalks and you look out and you know that it's fruitful, that it's produced well, that it's been good ground that has produced the things that it was supposed to produce. Maybe productive isn't the best word in English. Maybe fruitful would be a better term for us that paints a better picture for us. The more fruitful you will become if you live like this. If you look at the original Greek that Peter wrote in, he also said it in a more uh, kind of negative sort of way. So I want to rephrase it a little bit so we can get the full intent of what it is that Peter's saying here in verses 8 and 10. If you live a godly life, that is a life that has been visibly influenced by Jesus, where you have chosen to live like Jesus, then you will not be lazy or barren. Do these things and you will never fall into misery and become wretched. Do these things and you will never fall into misery. Friends, if you aren't aware of who's influencing you, you're going to be shocked when you look in the mirror. You're going to look in it one day and you're going to see someone that you don't recognize or even worse, somebody who you might not even like all that much. But if you're actively choosing to be influenced by Jesus, by the word of God, by the presence of Jesus, you won't even have to look in the mirror to know what's reflected out. Because people are going to tell you, they're going to look at you and say, you remind me of somebody. You look like somebody I know. It's shocking the way that you love people, the the peace that you have, the joy that you have in this circumstance, the faith that you have uh, for God to do this. You're going to know what is being shown to others who are around you. When you look in the mirror, you're going to see Jesus. And here's what that looks like. According to Peter, listen to this. This is what he's saying. He's saying a person who is influenced by Jesus is filled with faith. 
She's filled with goodness. She is easily identified by a deep understanding of both herself and the world that she's in. He is marked by a strong sense of self-control and an ability to keep going even in the face of adversity. And that ability to keep going finds its depth in an awareness of the holiness and the awesomeness of God. She's marked by a strong desire to love all people in all times and situation, a love that is rooted in her love for God. Live this way and you will not fall into misery. So who are you influenced by? Let me repeat John Mark Comer again. What you give your attention to is the person you will become. If you want people to look at you and to know that Jesus is influencing you, then you probably need to be a bit more serious about who you are allowing to actually influence you. If I say that I want to get in shape, but then I go out to eat, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten times a week, and I never work out, I'm not actually trying to get into shape. That would require exercise and better eating habits. And if we say that we want to live like Jesus, but our day-to-day is constantly juggling a mix of political posts on Facebook and uh, Instagram posts about your favorite celebrity doing their household chores and watching CNN or Fox News and then then topping it all off with uh, binge-watching your favorite sitcoms in the evening, you're being influenced but it's probably not by Jesus. If you want to be like Jesus, if you want to live like Jesus, then you need to give him your attention. So here's my challenge to you. I want to encourage you to do this this week. This week, make a list of the influencers who are in your life. It could be anybody from your sister to your favorite celebrity on Instagram. There's no judging about this. This is between you and Jesus. But I want you to pay attention this week as you're going about your life. Who are you looking to when you have parenting questions? Who are you uh, reaching out to when you want to learn about how to uh, love your spouse or those around you? Who's influenced you when it comes to work? Who's influencing your politics? Who's influencing your spirituality, your faith? There's all different types of areas. And, And just take a note and start jotting down the people who it is. And what I want to encourage you to do is at the end of the week, look at that list and ask Jesus, are these people helping me to look and to live more like Jesus? And you might be good, or you may look at it and be like, I need to cut a couple out. Or you may look at it and be like, this entire branch of people needs to be kind of cut out of my influencers because they are doing nothing good for me. Wherever it is, I want to challenge you to do that this week. I say this with grace, but I know for many of us, our desire to be like Jesus has been taken off course because of the people that we have allowed ourselves to be influenced by. So let's end by going back to Ezra. Where we left off, Ezra was getting ready to travel, and then he receives a letter from King Artaxerxes saying that he has the king's protection, and he gives thanks to God for God's many uh, blessings on this. And then in chapter 8, we see this list of people and and what God had given to him, what he had been given for this trip. And and he listed it all out because that's important. That, That matters. He's being grateful for those things. And then he travels. 
and he leads the people before he travels in doing this in eight chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 21 and 23. Read this with me. We prayed that God would give us a safe journey and protect us, our children, and our goods as we traveled. For I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to accompany us and protect us from enemies along the way. After all, we had told the king, our God's hand of protection is on all who worship him. But his fierce anger rages against those who abandon him. So we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us. And he heard our prayer. Ezra could have taken the king's offer of soldiers. Nehemiah would years later, and that would have been fine. But he felt like for him that it was important that instead of taking the king's offer, that he asked God for more. And he knew, because he had lived it out, that he, he needed to ask God for more, that he needed to pray, and that he needed to fast, and that out of that, that he needed to lead others in doing that. So he brought everybody together to fast and pray for God to give them more. Why would God listen to Ezra's prayer? Ezra was not theologically correct in every single way. Uh, If you keep reading in this book, you're going to see that there's some stuff that God didn't even really tell him to do, that he just went off and did on his own. He wasn't always perfect in that way. And he wasn't sinless. I don't know all of his stuff, but I know that he was not sinless, that he had his own things. So perfection was not required. He was a normal person who was intentional about aligning his life in a way that pleased God. And God answered that. God responds to that sort of person. God protected them as they traveled. They arrive and they're given favor immediately and they go about their tasks that they had came to do. God gave Ezra great success because he had things in the right order. He learned and then he lived and then he led. His heart was focused on God and God's word and his actions and his leadership reflected that. This morning, friends, I want us to realize that we are being actively formed. You and I are being formed by people and ideas every single day of our life. So who are you allowing to form you? Who's influencing you? Because if Jesus is influencing you, if he's the main influence in your life, it's going to show. It's going to be reflected in every single thing that you do and how you choose to do it. And on top of that, friends, I think it's important that we realize that we are all influencers. There are people who are influenced by the things that we say and we do. And we need to allow our influence to point other people to Jesus. We live, we learn, we live, and then we lead. And we keep it in the correct order. I want to pray with us before we worship, just simply for the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to us and to show us how we can be more formed by Jesus. So will you pray with me? Jesus, we just ask for you to come right now and to form us. Reveal to us ways that we can be influenced by your example, by your presence, by your words even more. That our lives show you to those that are around us. Let our deepest places be filled with the presence of you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.